Hello and thank you for listening to episode 125 of 60 Minutes With. I'm Dave and this is another of our interview shows. And in this one I get to chat with Thomas Jones, one of the all-time great NFL running backs and a guy who since he retired in 2012 has thrown himself into acting with as much passion as he did when he was out on the field all padded up. I could go on for ages about how great this show is and how very kind it was of Thomas to spend not just 60 minutes with me, but we ended up spending 90 minutes chatting together and could have spent easily another 90, as you'll find out. So, without further ado, here's me chatting with the great Thomas Jones. James Hall has replaced Chris Long, first and 10 from the Rams 13. Here's Jones. Jones inside the five to the end zone. Touchdown! OK, the first thing, obviously, is thank you so much, Thomas, for giving me your time today. Um, regular listeners know I'm a huge NFL fan. I'm a huge movie fan. Talking to you, we're going to cover both of those bases and, and more besides, no doubt. So thank you so much for giving me some of your time. Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate you and uh, your interest. And I appreciate the review on the film, The Violent Man. And, and uh, obviously, the, the NFL is... It's really big over here in uh, in the states, and and I know it's big over there in in the UK as well. I know they play a couple of games over there a year, mm-hmm. um, and you know it's just obviously this is a perfect situation for both of us. So thank you for for reaching out. No problem, no problem. The fir- the first thing I want to get into, and this is before we get onto the NFL and the movie stuff, is so we're based. I'm, I'm sat here in the Welsh Hills here in the UK, uh, in a big coal mining community that was devastated back in the 1980s due to all the politics that went on in here. Uh, Tina, my other half, who again regular listeners will know, her dad was a coal miner for many years. Uh, please tell our listeners a little bit about your early years, your family, and I know we've. We've got that connection with coal mining as well, haven't we? Yeah, it's just, it's a very small world. My, um, I grew up in a very small town in Virginia, um, in over here in the states, and uh, the town's called Big Stone Gap, Virginia. Very small town, coal mining industry, and my grandfathers, both of them, were coal miners for over forty years, and my mother and my father were coal miners as well. My mother was a coal miner for. 19 years underground my father was wow. a coal miner for one year and he was he was laid off and couldn't get back in the coal mines uh very um you know competitive uh coal mining industry where i'm from and uh the majority of people there worked in the coal mines, so it was very hard for my father to get back in after he was laid off but my mother worked 19 years underground um she worked a hoot owl shift basically which is 12 a.m to 8 a.m uh it was a pretty uh Pretty interesting upbringing that I had in that area. Um, you know, I grew up there. I ended up going to the University of Virginia and uh, playing football on a football scholarship. Um, I graduated from there in, in three years. And in my fourth year, I was in a master's program uh, for education. And uh, I was drafted in the first round of the NFL draft in 2000 by the Arizona Cardinals. I was the seventh pick overall. And um, played 12 years in the NFL and uh, uh, pretty much now, you know, I'm a working actor, producer, uh, writer. Um, it's a long way from, you know, the town <laughs> that I'm from. But, um, you know, the coal mines is one thing that's always stuck with me in the work ethic and dedication and yeah. the humility that the people in my area have shown uh, by working in the coal mines. is something that was instilled in me as a young kid. And I think that's the reason why I've been able to make it as far as I have now. So, yeah, we... We definitely have a lot in common with the coal mines. Definitely. I mean, such a hard life as well. Definitely a hard life. 
Yeah, it's definitely tough. Uh, it's, uh, you know, it's a, it's a, it's the most probably one of the most blue collar jobs you could have. I mean, literally, you're you're going into a cave uh, for twelve hours, and um, it's pretty scary to be honest. You know, I, I would drop my mother off at the coal lines. I never went in, but I would drop her off at work, and I would you know watch her go in, and um, it's pretty scary. You know, as a kid, you don't you don't think about it. You just think, well, my mom's at work. But as you get older and you start to understand the dangers of it, and you start to you know, hear other stories about other people getting trapped in the coal mines and you know, rocks falling on people and things like that, then you can't help but start to think about you know your own loved ones in there and yeah. hoping nothing happens. And my uncle's working the coal mines as well. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely a, definitely a tough life. It's, it's really hard. But I think the payoff is, like I said, the humility that you, you have to have to work in an environment like that and the, the work ethic and, and the dedication that it takes. And the fearlessness, I mean, to go in a cave, you know, at 12 midnight and come out at 8 a.m., uh, it's, you know, it's pretty incredible. And, and to come from a family like that and to come from parents that worked in the coal mines, um, you know, in my mind, I was like, you know, the least I can do is, is go out here and work hard and try to be as successful as possible. Mm-hmm. So was, was coal mining then one of those jobs that maybe you could have kind of be expected to go in? Because I know me growing up, like my dad worked at, uh, it was a big chemical plant over here in the UK and, and the town that I lived in. Nearly everybody, when they left school, you'd go and work at this chemical plant. Was it the same there? Was it kind of expected, well, this could be your future going there? Or did you already then have dreams of American football or, or something else? Well, it's definitely expected. Definitely expected. That's what usually happens, you know, people graduate from high school, especially the the, uh, the, the you know the guys that graduate from high school they go right into the coal mines and it definitely definitely something that's expected. Me, I remember at five or six years old, I told my mother and father I was going to go to the NFL and buy them a house and a car. Uh, oh. I don't know why I said that. I don't know <laughs> where that that insight came from, but uh, I think my area of Virginia football football in Virginia is really big uh, in general. But in my area of Virginia, it's such a small small area that football is literally life it's everything yeah. i mean all the high school teams are you know have the whole town support community support and you know for me to be able to be five or six years old and say that i think it just you know speaks about how big football is in our area and that was my goal from the time i was a young kid and even though i understood that the coal mines were calling my name i think it was just that wasn't that wasn't something that I aspired to do. I, I wanted to be able to explore the world. Sometimes when you grow up in a smaller area, it's kind of hard for you to evolve and progress because um, there's not there's not many new cultures or new ideas or things that are circulating in that environment. It's it's uh, it's it's pretty much the same ideals um, that are taught and you know people are learning over and over again. And for me, I was always curious and, and always ambitious and wanted to know what else was going on mm-hmm. outside of where I was from. And I think that, you know, when I was able to actually have a, you know, get a football scholarship, um, that was like my ticket to be able to, you know, get out in the world and actually see what else is out here. So, um, yeah, I, I definitely believe that, you know, um, you know, football being such a big, big deal in my, in my area of Virginia was a huge factor in me not wanting to go to the coal mines. Yeah, when I, when I left high school, and football's been such a big part of your family as well. I mean, because your younger brother Julius as well. 
He's had a good career as well, hasn't he? <laughs> yeah, yeah. My younger brother played. I uh, went to you know to the, he's three years younger than me. I went to the University of Virginia, and uh, it's funny because he ended up going to the, to the University of Notre Dame, uh, and I committed to the, the University of Notre Dame my junior year in high school, and I changed my mind at the last minute and went to Virginia. And he was on my visit when I went to Notre Dame uh, when he was in uh, ninth grade. Yeah. So uh, you know he ended up going to Notre Dame and then being drafted by the Cowboys. And uh, played in Dallas for about three, forty years, and then you signed with Seattle. Played in Seattle uh, for the Seahawks for about three years, two, three years, I think. And then he went to the Saints and was there for a couple of years. So uh, combined, we both played, I think, nineteen, twenty years wow. in the NFL. And uh, I think we're the, we're the first brothers in NFL history to have over one thousand yards rushing in the same season. Um, we played against each other about four times. I think it was two or three times on Thanksgiving. I think the, the Thanksgiving Day game that they had. So uh, yeah, it was a pretty incredible experience for you know two kids like us to come from a very very small town and make it to the NFL and play as long as we did. What was that like playing against your brother? You know, to be on both sides of the pitch. You know, going back like we've already established. You know, with that coal mining background. And then here you are, you're both in the NFL, you're on, you know, really big teams. I mean, all te- let's get it right, all teams in the NFL are big teams. But what was that feeling like the first time that you that you played each other in a game? It was surreal. It was it was very surreal. It was, I mean, this is someone that I literally was, you know, my younger, my, my kid brother. I mean, someone that I taught how to ride a bike, taught how to tie his shoes, I mean, <laughs> um, and so, you know, we're playing against each other and, uh, it was, I mean, I spent the majority of the game standing up because if I wasn't on the field on offense, when he was on the field, cause he played running back as well, I was standing up watching him, you know, hoping he didn't get hurt or, you know, because you're watching from a brotherly perspective, you know, yeah. obviously I wanted to win the game. I was with the bears and he was with the Cowboys, but you know, it was more so just not wanting him to get hurt and. Uh, making sure he's okay, and then all week long, you know, the defensive guys on my team were talking a lot of trash, you know, saying what they were going to do, and and the, and the guys on his team were doing the same thing, and, you know, I found myself kind of uh, rooting against my own defense some of the times if he get a good run, I'd be like, great, oh my God, good run, good run, you know, oh my God, it was a great play. So it was, it was a really uh, surreal time, but it was an incredible experience, and, uh, you know, we were very, very fortunate to be able to both play in the NFL and play against each other like that. It was pretty cool. Oh, I should think so. And just going back to your time with the University of Virginia, and please correct me if I'm wrong on any, on any of these. I mean, I've been, I've been a huge NFL fan. Uh, it started showing over here in the UK uh, in 1982. And I've, I, it's been my sport since 1982. I've just I've given up our football and I've just embraced <laughs> American football because I love it so much. Uh, and I, I'm... I'm a Steelers fan. I better get that out there to you right now. Um, <laughs> they, the reason I, that I picked them, they were on the first game that was shown over here in the UK. Uh, if I remember oh. rightly, I think it was the Steelers and the Packers. And I thought, this is a great game. I, I'm going to pick a team. I like those colours. It's black and gold. I'm yeah. going to pick the Steelers. And so I've been a fan since then. And you know, and it is, it's such an amazing sport and it's changed so much. And I've got a few questions for you later on about the way that the game has changed. Um, but I just want you know, to give you a bit of background about me and the game uh, because it's... Uh, it is. I, I, there's there's no other sport like it in the world for me. There, there really isn't. It it's you know the best spectator sport. It's it's people sometimes moan. And again, over here in the UK, because we've got rugby, and you get a lot of rugby fans going. Well, the NFL players have got pads and they've got helmets, 
I don't think they know how hard you guys hit out on the field that you need those pads and those helmets. I mean, you you must have taken some really big hits. Yeah, it's a pretty brutal game. Uh, I mean, obviously rugby is very brutal. It's I have the utmost respect for rugby players. I mean, they don't have helmets on. They don't have shoulder pads on. Uh, and I have the utmost respect for them and what they do. It's very, very violent, brutal. Um, I guess, you know, sometimes what people don't take into, take into consideration is that, you know, you have a hard plastic helmet on, it's like a weapon. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and subconsciously, you, you're you fearless. You know you have that helmet on. So, you know, you're literally running and crashing into someone as hard as you possibly can. Where in rugby, you're still con- self-conscious enough to know that you don't have a helmet on. So there's, <laughs> you know, there's, there's only so far you can go. Yeah. Uh, you know, so uh, I would definitely say that American football is uh, is a little more dangerous just because you have uh, shoulder pads on and a, and a, and a yeah. hard plastic helmet on. And, you know, this helmet, you know, will catch you. You know, usually a lot of guys don't wear uh thigh pads you know me i wore very small thigh pads uh to be perfectly honest i didn't even really wear knee pads <laughs> i didn't wear like hip pads or or a, a, a tailbone pad uh, these are things that just kind of weigh you down and okay. you know once you get into the to the nfl level um a lot of guys don't wear any lower pads i mean wow. they, you know obviously we're supposed to a lot of guys you know you see some defensive linemen they don't have any lower pads on and me as a running back you know i'm usually taking a lot of shots to my thighs but we, we train so hard and and squat and hamstring curl and lunge and front squat and and, and uh, hang clean, power clean. We do so many different type of Olympic lifts and things of that nature. You know, a lot of guys are pretty muscular, and then a lot of guys mentally are just so tough that we're going to shake off a lot of those injuries and a lot of those shots that we take. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, both games, rugby and American football, are both brutal. Well, it's like, like you said that. I mean, I know... And I mentioned this in the review of Violent Man as well. You're a big guy. You are a big guy. You've always been a big guy. You're still a big guy. And, you know, again, a little bit later on, I've got a few questions for you as far as fitness goes. Um, but that must help. I mean, I'm amazed, at, you know, with you saying some of the pads that you didn't you didn't wear. But, you know, thankfully your training helped, <laughs> which it did. Um, but just, yeah, it, it helped. I mean, we'll, we'll, I mean, you have to be, because in the NFL, you have to be as fast as possible. Yeah. That's that's really the name of the game. If you have too many pads on, and if you're slow and can't move and can't you can't make the plays because guys are just too quick, they're too smart, and they're too athletic. So it's kind of like uh, you know less baggage. You know, my shoulder pads. I mean, I was I played at two twenty five. I would usually go into training camp two thirty, two thirty two, and by the end of camp I'd be two twenty five. Wow! But you know, I wore receiver shoulder pads, so. They were, instead of wearing, you know, my normal size pads would be an extra large. Uh, I would wear a large. That way they're smaller, so I'm faster. Yeah. And sometimes the shoulder of my pads would be, my my, my side delt would come out of the shoulder pad. Um, but I didn't I didn't care because they were, they were smaller and I could be quicker and faster <laughs> and more agile. <laughs> it's crazy. Well, it, it definitely worked, that's for sure. Uh, like I so said, going going back to your time at um, UVA, am I right in saying that when you went there, Tiki, Tiki Barber was there as the running back? Yes, Tiki was a senior when I was a freshman. He was actually the uh, the host, my host when I went on my official visit. Okay. So uh, I met Tiki on my unofficial visit. Uh, my my senior year, I went to uh, a football game they played. I think it was Duke. 
the home game, and and I met Tiki, then and then on my official visit in December of '95, he was my host. So uh, from the time I stepped foot on UVA campus, I was right under Tiki's wing. Right. I mean, for anybody listening that doesn't know who Tiki Barber is, he went on to have such an amazing career with the Giants. Uh, so you're going into that, and he was he, he held then, didn't he, a lot of the records that then you went on to break, didn't you? Because you, you, you just smashed so many records there. It's unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it was crazy because Tiki was from southwestern Virginia, kind of like me. I mean, he's a couple hours away from me, but, you know, he's, his school's in Roanoke, uh, Virginia, which is maybe about two and a half hours from, from where I'm from on the, on the western side of Virginia. And Tiki went to UVA. He was, again, the comm school. Very, very smart guy. Uh, incredible running back. Incredible athlete. And, um, you know, we were actually pretty much the same size which is one of the reasons why I wanted to go to Virginia because I was, you know, in high school, I was 175 pounds and five, nine, five, eight and a half. And, <clears throat> and when I went on my visit to Virginia, I saw Tiki and Tiki was five, nine, you know, 200 pounds, 195. And, but the guy was just, you know, doing damage. I mean, to <laughs> major, major, you know, defenses. I mean, Florida state, they beat Florida state that year. They were the first ACC team in, in uh, to beat Florida State. Uh, I mean, he had almost 200 yards rushing, and I mean, he was literally running through everybody. And the guy was, you know, only a little bit bigger than me. So, yeah. you know, when I saw him, I was like, wow, you know, this guy's doing all this damage, and he's not, you know, he's too much bigger than me, man. You know, maybe, you know, I can have the same success. So, mm-hmm. you know, Tiki was an inspiration for, for me from the time I stepped foot on the campus. And we developed a really good brotherhood and friendship, and, and we still have the same brother and friendship to this day. So that that was obviously, you know, motivation for you when you went there. And would you please tell the listeners? I mean, the, the amount of records that this the the stuff that you did while you were there, you know, with with yardage and touchdowns and so on. Surely, <laughs> surely, in, uh, in your wildest dreams, you couldn't have imagined that you would do what you would you would do. Well, I always had confidence in myself because in high school I, uh, I had a lot of records and broke a lot of uh, Virginia State records and yeah. national records and stuff. You, you won two championships as well, didn't you, within that high school? Yeah, yeah, we won two um, two state championships in Virginia, two Virginia State championships. My junior year and my senior year, we won, I think, 26 or 27 straight games uh, and with 14 game seasons to make, to, to make it all into the state championships. So, yeah, we were... Uh, we um, we won two back-to-back state championships my junior and senior year, and what was funny was um, when we had press day my freshman year, Tiki Barber was going to his senior year and he just come off of a you know first-team all-conference season and going to the you know he's one of the best running backs Heisman candidate going into his senior year, and they the media asked him my true freshman year about me and you know I was highly recruited coming out of high school I was the second best. Uh, rated running back in the country coming out of high school, and um, and they asked him him about me, and he said, you know, this guy's gonna break all my records. <laughs> and I didn't know he said that until I actually saw the interview uh, in training camp later on that night on TV. And when he said it, the media kind of I, I heard them kind of like laugh in the background because they're thinking, you know, you're Tiki Barber, you just I mean you yeah. crushed all these records last year, and this is your senior year, and hopefully you can expect you to have an incredible year and going to the NFL and you're saying that this 175 pound kid 
uh, from the <laughs> middle of nowhere is going to break all your records. And, you know, four years later, uh, I had 17, uh, 18 school records, uh, nine Atlantic Coast Conference records, um, pretty much broke every record wow. uh, at the University of Virginia, uh, rushing record. Um, and, you know, it was funny because he, he said that before he, you know, had a senior, incredible senior year with yeah. all, he was ACC player of the year and ended up being drafted in the second round by the Giants. And he said it, he had that insight. And so, you know, I always have the utmost respect for Tiki for believing in me and, and, yeah. and you know, literally mentoring me as a freshman. And on top of that as well, you got your bachelor's degree in psychology, didn't you? Yes, yes. I was fortunate enough to, uh, in college, in high school, we had, um, uh, we could take college curriculum classes if we qualified for it. So I took English and physics in high school my senior year. And uh, and I ended up going to UVA with 13 credits. So because I already had 13 credits, you know, I figured, well, you know, I may as well try to graduate a year early. Mm-hmm. That way, if I come out in the NFL draft after my, my third year, my junior season at Virginia, we call it a third year, but... Um, after I, if I if I want to come out of the draft my my junior year, then I'll at least have my degree already. And so I literally would take twelve credits in the spring. I mean, in the in the in the fall during football season, and I would take twenty one credits in in the uh, spring, six classes. <laughs> and then in the summertime, I would uh, take two classes per session instead of one. Wow! So I would get a whole full semester in twelve credits in summer school. So I loaded up on classes because I wanted to be at least have my degree. And after my third year, I was ready to graduate. So I graduated with, I think there were 45 students in my incoming freshman class that graduated a year early. I was the only athlete. And um, and then my fourth year, which was my senior year, I was in the uh, uh, master's program for education And because I decided to stay after my junior year. I had a second round grade. But uh, if I, they, you know, I, I basically, the scout said, if you stay and you have a good year, you'll more than likely jump up into the top 10. Yeah, and that's what I did. I stayed and had an incredible senior year, and was first team consensus All American, and first team All ACC, and uh, was up for the Dope Walker Award, and um, and then I ended up being the seventh pick in the draft, as opposed to going in the second round. I mean, it is it you know it's testament to you the way that you you just throw yourself into everything. And again, once we get onto the acting talk, it's. You really do. You just you just focus in there and you just throw yourself into everything that you do. And it's hard work, but it pays off, you know? Yeah, it is hard work, and it, and, but it does pay off. And that's the beauty of it is committing. When you commit yourself to something and you do the day-to-day work and you, and you believe in yourself and you believe in the work and, and you're not surprised when it happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, hard work really pays off. I think that's probably the one of the truest cliches out there, hard work pays off. It really does. And that's a testament, again, back to where I'm from, to my mom, my dad, the work ethic that they displayed, the work ethic that I was exposed to, the work ethic, the only work thing that I knew was work, hard work and work ethic. Yeah. And so you, hard work makes you fearless. Uh, when you when you do the work, you're not scared. You're not scared of failing. You're not scared of looking, you know, silly or anything like that. The work, you know, builds up uh, courage. It builds dignity. It, it builds integrity, and and also, you know, it makes you confident because you know what you're doing because you put the work in. So, yeah, yeah I've always been a committed person, and, and football was 
definitely something I was very committed to for the majority of my life. And again, it goes back to, you know, what we started the show talking about, you know, your mum working down in the mines and all those hours and the hard work that she did, that was obviously ingrained into you at a very early age. And, you know, these years later, it, it you know, it's still there with you. Yes, it will always be. This is all I, is all I know, uh, hard work and dedication, which is something, like I said, my mother and father instilled in me at a, at a young age. And honestly, it was more about what they did as opposed to what they said. Yeah. Um, you know, they really just led by example, and I watched, and uh, they set the standard, and they set the, the bar pretty high. And, uh, you know, my success is literally just a continuation of what they already accomplished. The 2000 draft. I, I, I want to get into your mind for the 2000 draft, because this fascinates me. <laughs> We've not long since had, you know, this year's draft, and I, I love the draft every every year. Had, had uh, you beforehand, had you any inkling about, I mean, you know, teams visit and get in touch with players and so on and so forth before the draft began was there any inklings of teams that maybe had reached out to you or teams that maybe you wanted to go to what what was your life like like back then um what was so crazy about the draft was i used to watch the draft every year with my dad <laughs> me and my father used to watch the draft i yeah. mean and i would see the guys in the green room with their suits on and the family yeah. they get the phone call and they put the hat on and you watch it and you're like wow that is an incredible experience and you like hope one day that that's you and there's just so much competition over here and you know to get into the NFL so many great players oh, so yeah. I mean incredible athletes world class athletes across the country and so for me, uh, after my senior year, I ended up uh, going to train um, down in Florida. And, you know, uh, I, when I came back to Virginia, after I finished training right for the draft, I got a call from the NFL. And they said, uh, hey, we want you to be a part of the draft. Uh, and that was when there was only five players, the top five projected players yeah. to go. And it was like, whoa. So... You know, all those years that I watched the draft and record the draft, <laughs> go back and watch it. I'm literally going to be one of those guys that you know gets to go to New York and you know sit in the green room with my family and wait to see where I'm drafted. And it was one of the most special times of my life. Uh, honestly, it was very, very special to me and my family. It was uh, surreal. I read. I mean, it really was almost like how I was playing against my brothers. Like, is this really happening to me? Um, and so I knew at that time I was ranked the number one best back yeah. um, in the draft. So I knew that I was going to go more than likely in the top ten. Uh, but, you know, the draft is very unpredictable. Predictable teams yeah, can draft yeah. up, teams can draft down, teams can whatever. But uh, I knew, and, and I would watch all the mock drafts, and I would go, one minute I would be the third pick, six, next minute I'd be the second <laughs> pick, then I'd be the fifth pick. But, you know, I knew that I would be the, at least in my mind, I was going to be one of the top five picks. So I'm at the draft and um, I thought I was going to go to Baltimore at five because Baltimore, yeah. you know, they're from, they're close to Virginia. They needed a running back. Uh, so, you know, the first pick goes by, it's Courtney Brown. The second pick goes by, it's, I think it's LeVar Arrington. The yeah. third pick goes by, it's Chris Samuels. The fourth pick is Peter Warwick. And everyone's out of the green room, so it's just me. So the fifth picks up, and it's Baltimore, and they have the pick. And I'm sitting with my agent, Tom Condon, from IMG, and 
my family's there, and I'm like, I'm going to go to Baltimore. I'm going to stay close to Virginia. My family comes see me play, and uh, my phone doesn't ring. And uh, then I see Paul Tagnico say with the fifth pick the Baltimore Ravens have selected running back Jamal Lewis Tennessee. <laughs> so now I'm kind of like, okay, well, who else needs a running back? And yeah, I knew it was Arizona, and I knew the Giants might be looking for a back. Um, and to be perfectly honest, I, I did not want to go to the Cardinals. Uh, I was so set on going to Baltimore that it never even really dawned on me that I might go to Arizona. Okay. Um, it was just far away from home. Mm-hmm. Um, at the time, they just you know weren't really a good organization. Um, and I just no one, none of us actually wanted to go there. None of the running backs, you know, we all be at the combine and other functions, and we all say, hey, you know what, you're going to Arizona? No, I'm not. I mean, it's kind of like the running joke. <laughs> I mean, and, and it's and, and it's unfortunate, but you know, when you're kids, you know, you're 19, 20, 20, 21 years old. I mean, you know, I mean, the reality is, you know, none of us wanted to go to a team that wasn't. Winning, yeah. They, I mean, they were they were definitely a different team back then to what they are now. Yeah, and so uh, the sixth pick comes up, and I'm like, well, maybe the Eagles will take me. And uh, Paul Tagliabue says, sixth pick, the Philadelphia Eagles select Corey Simon. But now it's the Cardinals on the clock. <laughs> so I'm like, okay. Part of me's like, okay, I've been here too long. Everyone else is gone. Mm-hmm. Still, I need to draft me. But then the other hand was like, okay, this is Arizona. Maybe I can drop a couple spots and go to the Giants or play with Tiki. Yeah. All these things are going through my mind, yeah, um, realistically. And then my phone rings. It's the six zero two area code, which is uh, Phoenix. Uh, I answer the call. Hey, this is such and such from Arizona Cardinals. How you doing? Like I'm good. How you doing? Good. Hey, well. Just wanted to let you know, we're getting ready to draft you. Are you excited to be a Cardinal? <laughs> and at that moment in my life, it was the most mixed emotion, the most bittersweet moment I've ever had in my life because I was like, I'm about to get drafted into the NFL. Yeah. Like, my lifelong dream since I was a five, six-year-old kid is like literally right now. But then on the flip side, it was, wow, I'm going really far away from my family. I've never been... Yeah. To Phoenix, um, I know that you know their team is not really that solid. Um, so it was all these things kind of going through my mind. So I said, of course, yes, because I was excited. And then you know, I look at my mom, my dad's faces, and they're looking at me. And I'm just like, wow, this is really—I can't believe this is happening. So I get off the phone, and then I give everyone a hug: my sisters, my mom, my dad, my grandmother, my agent. And then Paul Tannehill, who says, with the seventh pick, Arizona the Cardinals, like Thomas Jones running back to the University of Virginia. Like, oh, I on the stage. And it was just surreal. It was just so, like, it was an unbelievable, unbelievable experience. Um, and then at that moment, boom, you know, my whole life changed. Yeah. You, know, you go from being a college kid, you know, barely money to eat pizza or get gas for your car to being an instant millionaire. Yeah. And in the NFL, it was. It, it was, uh, I don't know, it was, it was one of the most unique experiences anyone could ever have. That's cr- that, that it is, Craig. I mean, obviously, I can't even begin 
to understand what that must have felt like. Uh, apart, you know, obviously, you know, the, the feeling of extreme elation. And, but, you, you know, as you said, tempered with, uh, you know, because the Cardinals weren't that great at the time. It's like, oh. And, you know, the, the next running back to go was the 11th pick, which was Ron Dane. And he went to the Giants mm-hmm. and teamed up with Tiki Barber. So, yep. it, you know, it, it's that thing again, isn't it? You know, these crossroads that you meet in, you know, in life and how things can change. And it could have been, oh, what would have happened if you went there? What could have happened if you went to the Ravens? Because, you know, Jamal Lewis, who went at five to the Ravens, the next season they won the Super Bowl. Yeah, yeah they yeah, they that same season. Yeah. His rookie year, they won That's the Super it. Bowl. He had 1,400 yards. Yep. They, yeah, they won the Super Bowl. Do yep. do you think? Do you, I mean? You know, I, I, one of the things I love about American football as well is because of the the heavy focus on stats and everything. And I just love stats. And I, I was oh. lucky, and I saw. Okay, so Jamal Lewis was you know the, the first running back that went. At, you know, at the five, he went at seven. He went to the Ravens, and then he immediately won the Super Bowl. And the, here's you, which has got to be incredible. You know. For yardage, the twenty-fifth all-time NFL running back for yardage. Which congratulations on that! Immediately, you know, you. that that's got to be such a great feeling. But then, who's in front of you? Who's in front in front of you? Which I think, if I, yeah, again, correct me if I'm wrong, by sixteen yards, it's Jamal Lewis. Jamal Lewis. <laughs> is he your is he your Jamal nemesis? <laughs> it's like <laughs> yeah, he is my nemesis. Like that, that and, and, and and you know. Uh, Jamal, I call him J. Lou. We we were we were cool from the whole time from you know the draft before the draft the combine. We were actually roommates at the combine. Uh, you know, we both knew one of us was going to be the number one back. Yeah. You know, I was ready, ready to die, but you know, at the last minute, I already knew somebody wanted a bigger back, and they picked him. And and you know, there was no type of you know, I mean, that was his path. Yeah. Um. You know, uh, I was happy for him. He worked really, really hard. He deserved to be picked where he was, where he was picked, and that was a perfect place for him. And and the place I went was the perfect place for me in the long run. Yeah, it wasn't at first because it just was not a good situation. But it forced me to really evaluate how much I loved football, uh, how much I wanted to be successful at the next level. Yeah, uh, and it also forced me to really kind of go back to my roots and figure out who I was as an NFL player as opposed to someone that's just trying to get to the NFL because I had different expectations. You know, my expectations were get to the NFL, get my mother and father out of the coal mines. Once I was in the NFL, it became, okay, now who do I want to be while I'm in the NFL? And that's psychological. That's a psychological game you have to play with, uh, with yourself. And that's what I went through in Arizona because I was in one of the worst situations possible where literally in the NFC East, but we're in Bay, we live in Phoenix. So we have to fly to the Giants, the Redskins, and the oh, Eagles yeah, every year. Yeah. Uh, you know, and then the Cowboys, we have to fly to Dallas two hours. They fly to us once. Uh, we never left two days before the game. So we left on a Saturday morning to go to New York. The game's at one on Sunday, right? The next day, mm-hmm. by the time we line up to kick the ball off, it's 10 a.m. to us. We're still on Pacific time. Wow. So we haven't even really, we're not even really awake yet, to be honest. You know, we don't wake up till the second quarter, but then you're getting beat by three touchdowns. Um, I mean, it was just a very, we didn't have a dome. It was 120 degrees, 115 degrees. So we're playing the Arizona State Stadium outside at 1 o'clock. 
So it's, I mean, the sun is literally beating you down. I mean, you're cramping up in warm-ups. Uh, it just was not a good situation all the way around. It was very, very difficult for us to overcome those things to win because we had incredible players and incredible coaches. Mm-hmm. Just the elements and the system and the situation just wasn't conducive for winning at that time. And they're different now because they have a dome. So yeah. now the fans don't have to sit out on metal bleachers and, you know, be sunburned <laughs> for three hours. <laughs> We're not on the IVs and, yeah. you know, having to cramp up and stuff and warm-ups anymore. It's, you know, a totally different experience. And, and I, I, I wouldn't change anything. I would, I would not change anything. You know, some people say, man, if you could have gone to another team, you may have 13,000, 14,000 yards. But the fact is, Arizona helped mold me into just not only the football player I became, but just the person I ended up becoming. Because yeah. I had to, over, I had to overcome a lot of adversity as a as a man, as a football player. I had to overcome so much, and and that's what's molded me and made me into who I am today, which is somebody that I wouldn't change for mm. anything. I mean, that, that that's a really great point that you brought up, especially you know to all of us over here in the UK and our football. I mean, we get players complaining, you know, they've got to get onto a bus and it's a three hour journey on the motorway. I mean, you guys, you, you not only have you got to get onto a plane and travel thousands of miles, you've, you've, you've got to change you know, the time on your watch. You've got, you're, you're going through different time zones as well. And that's got to have an effect on you. It definitely does. And I, I, to be honest, that's all I knew. So, you know, when I was traded to Tampa, after my third year and we flew to play San Francisco uh, at San Francisco Candlestick Park, we left on Friday. And I was like, well, why are we leaving on Friday? I'm like, well, that way we can get there and have a day to adjust to the time. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay, well, that makes sense. But I never thought about that because being in Arizona, I mean, you didn't think like that. Just, well, you leave the day before and you play. Yeah. But, you know, it, it just really showed me, too, like, wow, okay, this team is willing to spend a little bit of extra money to make sure that we're uh, rested and, you know, we are actually in a, the best position possible to win physically. And, and it just changed my perspective overall on just the NFL and just teams in general and how different teams operate. And, um, and you know, it was, it was a really incredible journey, man. My NFL career was a really incredible journey. Yeah. I mean, like you said, you were drafted by the Cardinals, you went to the Buccaneers, you went to the Jets, uh, then you went to the Bears. It was, it was while you were at the Bears that, and again, I, can't, I cannot wrap my head around this because I've, I've watched every Super Bowl since Super Bowl 18. And you've played in the Super Bowl. And I, you know, obviously I watched this Super Bowl, Super Bowl 41. It was February the 4th, 2007. Um what what was it like how can how can you i mean you know you're a professional sports player and you know you, this is kind of a regular day-to-day thing but you're in the super bowl and 93 million viewers watch that game did at any point that sort of register in your in your brain that all those people are watching you no no it never did i think i think it was just such a blur that uh by the time it was over, it was kind of like what just happened. Uh, <laughs> I mean, from the time you, from the time that we won the NFC Championship game uh, against the Saints, great game, to, great game. To after the Super Bowl, when we were going off the field, mm-hmm. back into the locker room, it was just a, a complete blur. Yeah. I mean, it was just like, so 
so I never thought about it. I, I always, I only, I was only thinking, well, have a chance to, to win the Super Bowl, a game that I've watched every year since I was five, six years old. Yeah, I have a chance to be a Super Bowl champion. I have a chance to. This is my chance, and that's all I was thinking about. Uh, it, it was, it was an unbelievable experience, uh, but. I never really thought about that many people watching because when you're at that point, when you're so ingrained into the game plan and to the strategy and to who you have to stop and what you have to do and what coverages you have to be aware of, what blitzes you have to be aware of and what, you know, uh, uh, defensive fronts you have to be aware of yeah. and substitutions and who's hurt and who's not hurt you get so focused on all of that stuff and then you get in the game and then you're just thinking, this isn't working. Let's try this. This isn't working. Let's try this. This isn't working. And then the clock's winding down and you're getting desperate. And you, I mean, so by the time you look up, you're like, Whoa, 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 Whoa. Did I just play in the Super Bowl? <laughs> I mean, that's kind of, it's kind of what it was. It's kind of what it was. It was just such a complete, just dash of an experience, a dash of an experience. Yeah. It just, in a way, and then when you don't win, it makes it worse because you're like, go back and you watch it and you think, wow, oh, if I would have done this, or if I would have done that, it's just mental torture of what ifs. Yeah. So is that another? It's another bitter sweet experience. It's playing in the Super Bowl. I had over 100 yards rushing in the Super Bowl. Yeah, you had a great game. I'm thinking, well, you know, what if they had kept giving me the ball? Or what if? We wouldn't have had that turnover. Or what if yeah. I would have cut to the left instead of the right on this play? Uh, what if we'd have won? I may have gotten Super Bowl MVP. There's, there's so many different things that you just think about. It's, uh, you know, what do they say? High risk, uh, high risk, high reward. Um, I mean, to play in the Super Bowl is a high reward, but the risks are you're going to always have regret if you don't win. Yeah, that's kind of where I am in my life. I, I will never ever get over losing that game. I mean, I, I, the way the game started as well. You know, yet another great, you know, kickoff return by Devin Hester. It's just, you, you must have been on the sidelines there. You know, I mean, that must have been such a, a thrill to begin the game. And all of a sudden, it's the kickoff, Devin Hester. There you go. Six points. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, oh, wow. Okay. And it's raining. So oh, thinking, wow. oh, I couldn't believe I was watching. I mean, I was lucky enough to, I was in Miami um, for a few days last oh, year. Okay. And it was scorching hot, you know, a bit different to here in Wales. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it yeah. was, so I'm sat watching the Super Bowl at home and th it just poured down with rain. It was unbelievable. It was rainy and I thought, wow, this is my kind of game. It's rainy. I have, you know, seven stud cleats on. I can dig in. Uh, it's going to be a wet game. We're going to run. Perfect, perfect. Yeah. Devin Hester opens up the game with the touchdown. We're up 7-0. Yeah. We're gonna, I thought, honestly, I was like, we're going to blow these guys out. We're going to blow these guys out because Peyton can't throw. It's rainy. And literally, that's all we did the whole season was run the ball down people's throats. Yeah. So I was like, yeah, this is going to be, wow. And then for the outcome to be what it was, it's like, that wasn't supposed to happen. So. <laughs> I've, yeah. So now that that the, you know the Super Bowl's come and gone, unfortunately, you weren't on the winning side of it. You retired in 2012. 
I've, I've got to ask the gold jacket, the Hall of Fame. It's you know, I, <laughs> I, I definitely put you in there. Surely you've got to have some thoughts about okay, you know, it's, it's your name going to come up. What's going to happen? What you know? Yeah, what... yeah, you know, I, yeah. I think, I think, I think what I did over the course of my career, uh, in spite of how I started, uh, you know, statistically. I mean, if you look at statistics, uh, a lot of the guys that have even been nominated um, have more yards yeah. and touchdowns than a lot of those guys. I mean, Definitely, uh, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of guys there that don't even have 10,000 yards that are either in or they've been nominated, at least. Um, and I mean, I definitely think uh, I've done I've, I've done Hall of Fame work, at least Hall of Fame. Oh, hell yeah. Um, went mentioning worth i mean as far as getting in that's a whole different story there's a lot more that goes into it but as far as just you know being nominated or being uh on the list of guys officially i think there's there, there are guys that are immediately behind me um that are still getting hall of fame consideration and so you know and i think i was eligible last year you last were, year yeah. First year of eligibility. yeah um so you know and uh, that's the thing you know it's it's kind of out of my hands you know i did the work that i was supposed to do that i was able to do and and at this point you know you just kind of let the chips fall where they may i've, I've had an incredible run uh, i mean to be honest everything that someone would want to do in football i've been able to do i was an all-american in high school i was an all-american first team american in college i was two-time first team all acc in college i was a first team all pro player i was a starter in the pro bowl Played in the Super Bowl. I was the seventh pick in the draft. Mm -hmm. I was just inducted to the Virginia Sports Hall of Fame a couple of weeks ago, or a couple of months, a month or so ago in Virginia. I've, I've, I've had an incredible run, an incredible oh, yeah. run. I, I, I couldn't ask for anything else. I mean, I think the cool thing about being nominated for the Pro Football Hall of Fame possibly would just be something special for me and, and, you know, my family, but especially something special for me and my dad, because, yeah. you know, I would sit on my porch at my house when I was a kid and ask my dad, we're from such a small area. Do you think anyone will ever know about me? <laughs> and he would tell me, if you do the work, the work, the rest will follow. Yeah. And I think for me to be nominated to the pro football hall of fame, just on the list of nominees for me to be able to call him and say, well, you know, <laughs> You're right. <laughs> I think that would be a special moment. That would be yeah. a very special moment between me and him. So that, other than that, I cannot complain, man. The NFL has been great and horrible to me at the same time, physically horrible. Um, but it's been <laughs> great as far as experiences and relationships. It's been, it's been, yeah. it's been great. Well, I, I'll be the first, you know, one of the first definitely to congratulate you. When, when, not if, when you get your gold jacket, definitely, because I'm, I'm sure you'll get it. I'm, I'm sure you will. You, de you, de you definitely deserve it. That's for sure. You really do. Thank you. Thank you so much. So, I mean, just sticking before we go, you know, your post NFL career, um, something that's linked to it. Um, I've read, and again, please correct me if I'm wrong. You've decided to denote your brain to the Sports Legacy Institute. Is that right? Yes, yes. Basically, it's uh, the uh, Sports Legacy Institute in Boston. Uh, I had a lot of concussions when I played football. And yeah. I was friends with Junior Seau, uh, NFL player who was diagnosed with CTE um, after he, he was uh, uh, 
after he was found dead. They did mm-hmm. research on his brain, and uh, he committed suicide. And uh, a couple of other players that had had taken their lives, unfortunately, I was friends with. Yeah. And so I uh, felt, you know, for me to be able to donate my brain to science um, when I pass will be a you know a good opportunity for me to help with research on a lot of guys that are misunderstood because of all the concussions and some of the trauma to the brain that affects your mood. Mm-hmm. It affects your behavior. And, uh, yeah, so, I, uh, you know, I, I decided to, to uh, do a brain donation when uh, when I pass. So hopefully it'll be able to help, you know, in research and try to find something that can give these guys some sort of uh, relief, you know. Yeah, I, mean, I remember watching um, last year the movie Concussion. And I was, yeah. I was, I was just like shocked, absolutely shocked at like, holy shit, is you know, and you know, the, the whether it's true or not, I don't know. The you know the way that the NFL, in a way, sort of swept under the carpet a few sort of facts and figures, and it's just like, you know, th- this is human lives you're playing with here, <laughs> you know. And, it, and as much as I love the game and I love the hard hits, I've seen hits, and it's just like, holy hell, that that's got to have some effect on people. Yeah, you. I mean, to be honest, our, game, our bodies were not made for this game. We created this game and we normalized the violence of it and the brutality of it. We, we normalized it, so we made it okay, but it's but it's, it's really not okay. Our, mm-hmm. our brains and bones weren't meant to be put through this type of trauma. Yeah. So, uh, but we do it, and people enjoy it, and people make a lot of money off of it. So, uh, you know, of course, the, the NFL has responsibility to the players, and you know to the players' families to protect us as much as possible. But you know they also have their own interest, which is you know making sure that that the game remains uh, to a certain extent as entertaining as possible. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, to make make the money that they're making. So it's kind of a you know it's, it's kind of a catch twenty two. You know, damned if you yeah, do, damned yeah, if you don't. Yeah. It is. I mean, it almost it it goes back because the game, like I said, you know, I started watching in '82, and the game has evolved and changed so much. But it's you know, I sort of equate it to the movie Rollerball, you know, and that hard hitting, you know, bang, 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 you know, what's going on? And the NFL, rightly so, has had to change the rules as the as the game has evolved because, you know, like I said, you're playing with with people's lives here. Um, yeah. But then you get people going, well, you know, has it gone too soft? You know, it's it's not the game that it used to be. It's got to be a really fine balance of not taking away the core element of, you know, it's why people watch boxing and so on. You know, they, they, you know, gladiators back in the Roman times and so on, they like watching yeah. people just, you know, that physical f- physicality of it all. But then you've yeah. got to realise people can die from this and, and do die from it. Yeah, you're exactly right. People, people see us get hit and we pop back up, and they think, "Well, oh, it must not hurt." You see a boxer get hit in the face, and you're like, "Well, it must not hurt." But you know, no, it hurts. <laughs> it definitely hurts. <laughs> we're just warriors, and we're just trained to fight through it. And uh, when you get hit, you hit back. Yeah, and it's about who can, you know, hit back the hardest over the course of the game or the fight. Who is that? Who wins? And so it's uh, everything starts with the mind. Uh, so even though physically it looks like it's not as bad, 
because we pop back up psychologically, there's a lot of things going on in your head that people just wouldn't even know about. Can you remember the hardest hit you ever took? The hardest hit I ever took was in college, actually, the first day of full pads. We had the safety. One of the, arguably the best football player I've ever seen live. His name's Anthony Poindexter. And he was an incredible safety, uh, incredible football player, two-time All-American, All-ACC uh, Defensive Player of the Year, and kind of like a big brother to me. And we were in practice, and it was the first day of four pads, and uh, he blindsided me and literally knocked me silly uh, to the point <laughs> where I, I came, I, I literally was like leaning on him, and he just pushed me on the ground, and then I somehow found my way up and went to the wrong sidelines and it was just a disaster. But uh but what that hit does did was it literally, you know, made me say, Well, if I can take this hit from him, I can take it hit from anybody. From that point on, I never ever thought about getting hit again. Yeah. Just if anything, I was ran more angry because I was ready to kinda of hit someone like he hit me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy. So it gets it gets to twenty twelve you retire from the NFL. What happens then? I mean, it, it's got to be, I mean, because, you know, obviously NFL players, you retire, you're still young, you know, you've still got a lot of life yeah. in front of you. What was going through your mind then when you retired? I think mainly what was going through my mind is just having some free time to like stay at <laughs> my house. I mean, because yeah, I just left Kansas City. Yeah, I've been in five different teams, five different cities. My house is, I bought my house in Miami in 03, and I retired in 2012. So I never really consistently had a chance to even stay in my own house. I was there maybe yeah, maximum three months out of each year. Maximum three months out of each year. Yeah. So now it's like, wow, I get a chance to like be here, be in my house, sleep on my own bed. Uh, so that was, that was cool. But then after a couple of months, you know, you start to get restless and, and you realize, wow, it's over. And, you know, for me, I was always a creative person. I had a music label when I played in the NFL. So I was even, even after practice, I would come in and I would go in the computer uh, station. And it would be funny because I still have my shoulder pads on and I'm like listening to tracks and beats and uh, people were sending me lyrics and, you know, people are looking at it. They all know, and I'm like, hey, you know, listen to this this song. What do you think about this song from my artist? What do you think about this song? I still have my pads on. So guys knew <laughs> I was really dedicated to, to music. I had a, a deal with Universal, with my company, which was cool because yeah. I was right in New York City. So, you know, after practice, I could just jump in a car and head right into Manhattan and, you know, go to the uh, Universal building and talk about my artist projects and their singles and release dates and videos and things like that. So I, I was always into the entertainment industry. But once I retired, what was hard for me is that I'm used to, I was used to being the talent as well as a football player. Yeah. So now all my energy was geared towards other people as talent. So I had to rely on their hard work and their dedication for me to be successful. Mm-hmm. And that ended up being a little bit of a problem. Uh, so I started, I added a film, film division to my company production company and so my company is IME IME which stands for independently major entertainment yeah so I had IME music and then I had IME films and I started working on a TV series in Miami with Clifton Powell and Michael Blackson and you know I kind of got the acting bug then 
And I was like, wow, this is pretty cool. I had a small little role I played, uh, Clifton Powell's nephew. And I liked it. And then one of the publicists for the show was like, hey, you have some natural ability. You need to get an agent. I think you could be huge in Hollywood. And I'm like, first of all, I'm not moving to Hollywood. I'm not moving to L.A. <laughs> I, I just, I'm just not getting comfortable with my own house that I've been in for the last 10 years. Uh, but she taught me to get an agent. I moved to, well, I went to New York, uh, found an agent. <sighs> Next thing is they're sending me auditions on auditions in L.A. And I'm like, no, I'm not going over to L.A. I'll do a self-tape. Hmm. Hadn't been in any classes. Um, and they just continued, you know, uh, to send me on auditions. And I continued to just not go. Because uh, I just did not want to be in L.A. Until I went to my first audition, which is for this show called Shameless. And I literally flew out there in the morning, went on the audition, and flew right back off the, after the audition. That's how much I did not want to be in L.A. <laughs> and the next day they called me and said I booked it and that was kind of the start of me having to come to the realization that I would have to actually come to LA which is where I am now Yeah, pretty much 11 months out of the year and I love it you love it yeah <laughs> what's, yeah. what, what's it like then I mean obviously you know you've, you've done the live stuff you know you're you know, we talked about all the viewers with the Super Bowl and so on. But when you know, when you're playing American football, and you got that instant reaction, you know, you'd you'd, you'd break through, and you you know, you'd run. You know, you have this fifty yard plus run, and you get the instant reaction from the crowd. But now here you are as an actor, and you're on a soundstage, and it must be quite sterile. You're not getting that instant feedback. You know, it could be months, sometimes even years down the line before what you've put onto the you know onto film is put in front of people. What's that like, that change from that instant reaction to, you know, it's 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 going to be a long time before people are seeing what I'm doing? I think what it is, I, I was fortunate enough when I moved to L.A. to get into an incredible actor studio, uh, Ivana Chubbuck, who's a world-renowned acting coach and has mm. a really incredible technique that she teaches. And my, my teacher, specific teacher, Franz Turner, uh, is one of the most influ influential people I've ever met in my life. He literally took me from being a football player that was complex, never showed vulnerability, never showed weakness, mm. almost had some humanity stripped away because of that game. Yeah, He literally brought me back to humanity, made me comfortable showing vulnerability, made me comfortable being human again. And, and and also helping me experience and live through things that I would push to the side or I wouldn't want to deal with. Yeah. And, to, and, and, that's, and that's how I'm answering your question. Even though I may do a project and it might not come out for two years or it might not come out for six months or a year, the fact that he taught me how to enjoy the experience of the scene and enjoy the experience and live the character is gratification. Yeah. When I do a scene and the director says action and I've done the work on the character, the backstory, I've, I've literally went head first into who this person is and why they're motivated to make the decisions that they, they make and to say the things that they say. Mm -hmm. And I actually become this person in this scene. And when the director says cut and I've experienced that and I've lived it, and the director says, yes, great job. Yeah, that one—that's the best take. That—that's the gratification now, as opposed yeah. to hearing the crowd scream as I'm running down the sidelines, 
it's the same rush. And, I, and, I, and what's so crazy about Hollywood is, you know, you'll work on a project and two years later it comes out and you're already doing something else. So you <laughs> kind of have forgotten how that felt until you watch it yeah. when it comes out. So you're almost kind of reliving it. You're reliving it as everyone else is watching it for the first time because if you're doing what you're supposed to do, you're constantly moving on to something else. Yeah. I mean, it, it, I mean, there's a long line of NFL players that went into acting, and off the top of my head, I immediately think Jim Brown, Fred Williamson, Terry Bradshaw, obviously, being a Steelers fan, yeah. uh, leaping right. forward into the 80s, and Brian Bosworth, and, you know, the cheese fest that was stone cold. Now, I've got to admit, and again, I'll be totally honest with you, you win a violent man plopped through our letterbox for review and i thought okay here we go here's you know here's another you know lower budget <laughs> fight movie it's got the ex nfl player my expectations were low you know i'm not i'm not gonna bullshit yeah. you and then i watched <laughs> it i you know i watched it and again people can re you know read the review on the website i i loved it i was blown away i loved the movie and you know, a great job by writer director matthew berkowitz um but a key a key point of it was you thomas it was it was your performance and i was expecting you know i was expecting just you know this would be one level monotone performance and i got so much more from you i i felt empathy for your character uh you 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 really made me feel for you you'd got a good range of, of you know you, you totally so obviously because of your you know your physique and the action scenes it's like well here's a guy that i you know i don't want to mess with but then you sh you, know, you, sh you you capably more than capably showed the vulnerable side of ty as well you know which is testament you know to your acting skills so you know a fair play to you and again it's another one of those things where when you threw yourself into your NFL career, you threw yourself into your education. You, you know, you highly succeeded in both of those, and now you've got it into acting. It's well, yeah, I think you've got a great career ahead of you in acting. And, and again, I finished off the review by going, you know, I really look forward to seeing, you know, more that that Thomas Jones does within his acting career uh, and i do you know a violent man is such a great film so you know c congratulations to you know matthew matthew berkowitz for writing and directing it and mostly to you for your performance in it thank you so much i really 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 appreciate that and i mean just hearing you say that it, it really just it makes me feel good because uh, even though you commit yourself to something uh, acting and football are two different things, right? Yeah, you know, acting yeah. is a little bit more subjective. In football, it's either you made the play or you didn't. You know, you can like me or not, but if I have 120 yards, you can't say I suck. You know, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, two touchdowns, you can't say well you suck. You know, <laughs> I had 120 yards, two touchdowns. Acting is, it's subjective. It, it's based off of you know what someone, you know, uh, is emotionally connected to, or if they believe you or not. And and that's why when I moved to L.A. in 2014, I spent three and a half years in two different actor studios, six hours a week, because I realized while I was playing football, all the guys that I'm going on auditions with were acting. Mm -hmm. So I had a lot of catching up to do. And I took it very seriously. And because the coach, Franz Turner, that I had forced me to buy in to my work and buy in to peeling back all these layers on who I was, it made it very... Uh, therapeutic for me to start acting you know and and i worked on projects where you know, i was in straight out of compton and i played yeah you know this 
you know, menacing guy with three lines. And then Being Mary mm-hmm. Jane, which was, you know, a big show on BET. Yeah, I played yeah. Gabrielle Union's Love Interest, where, you know, I played this kind of, uh, you know, guy on the side that really, you know, doesn't really have much to offer. And, and, and all those roles were great. And I was grateful for those roles. And those roles did humongous things for my career to jumpstart my career. But when I read the script, when I met Matt three years ago, and we just became really, really close friends, and he showed me the script, I was like, wow, finally a script where I can show my range because mm-hmm. people don't know. Because automatically they think football player, which is why I added my middle initial to throw people off. So when you see Thomas <laughs> Cusino, you yeah. think it's someone else. And then by the time you figure out it's me, hopefully you'll have seen me acting like, wow, this guy's a good actor. And you're like, mm-hmm. oh, so that's, he played football too, as opposed to, Oh, he's a football player trying to act because it, 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 that never works out well. Yeah. So, um, but this role was such an incredible role because I had a chance to really use and 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 take advantage of my physique and physicality with the fighting. But the storyline is so uh, intricate. Yeah. Oh, and detailed. Yeah, definitely. And and you have to be able to show range and show layers in order for this character to to work yeah. otherwise i mean this is this isn't this isn't an on on the nose film uh you literally don't know what happens to the very very end you, and, you and that's why know. no you don't know and that's why matt and i worked really really hard on uh the work and each scene we wanted each scene to be its own little movie yeah and so when we did when we did the work and the backstory of my character i mean we went deep into me as a person deep into my experiences, my past mm-hmm. relationships with girlfriends, my past relationships with friends, family, um, my past relationships with coaches, uh, people that meant the most to me, people that I don't like in my life, people that I d- despised from football. Mm-hmm. I mean, we went through such a wide variety of, of uh, things in my life that by the time we got on set, I mean, I, it was like this beast ready to just come out. I could not <laughs> wait to perform and 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 that's the, that's why when, when you when you make those comments um i'm very very grateful because we spent so much time yeah. on making sure that this was my shot yeah it's like you get one opportunity right you know as a as a lead this is your this is your shot as a lead yeah and if it goes bad then it could be curtains because oh another football player that failed yeah. you know and yeah. i did not want that to be my destiny in this this industry because I love acting. I love creating. I love writing. I love producing. I love editing. I love everything about this whole space because it's, it's finally given me something where I can use all that ambition and work ethic and dedication that I have with football. And I can dump all of that energy into this. Yeah. And and I think that's why the movie came out the way that it did because I was very specific and I worked really, really hard on it. So thank you so much. I appreciate the kind words. Oh no, no, no problem. You know, you deserve every you know kind word that you get. I, I I went into it expecting a totally linear narrative, and I got so much more from it. Like you say, the the way that you know it just kept twisting and turning, and again through your performance, your character. You know, I, I started off. I you know I felt so sorry for him, and then I was thinking, oh my god, you know, I I hate you. Why are you doing that? And then it it, it twists again. You know, and I'm you know I. I'm an aging movie lover who's watched so many films and it's, you know, most of the time within 10 minutes, you know how it's going to end. And I was fully expecting it of this. 
and it hooked me because it just you know every like 10 15 20 minutes there'd be this like twist and it'd go well i wasn't expecting that i wasn't expecting that and i wasn't expecting that and it's you know because of the acting on the screen that kept me you know invested in the characters and i was just taking along this story that twisted and turns in so many ways that i was not expecting and again please you know everybody that's listening please go and read the review and then go out uh, and buy a violent man on dvd it's available over here in, in, in the uk because it, it's such a great you know such a great movie and such a great role for you and it should be i really do hope thomas that this you would you know was the catalyst now that then projects you on to you know a successful acting career um, which matches it if not exceeds the NFL career that you had thank you so much it's uh it's you know it's, it was really a dream role for me and then to be able to produce it through my own production company and be the executive producer and, and have my hands up on every aspect of it was very 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 special mm. uh, I don't know if you've seen that movie a quiet place um, I haven't watched it yet no uh, I haven't it's an incredible film. I actually saw it yesterday. And A Violent Man kind of reminds me of that in its own space because in A Quiet Place, I'm basically I'm not going to tell you the movie, but the movie does not let up. It, yeah. it, it does not let up. It's like, and I was watching it yesterday and I was like, I didn't have a moment to like breathe. As soon as I thought yeah. I might have a moment to be like, okay, okay, I can, I can like relax. Boom, something else. And, and it's not just like the sound effects or it's not just yeah. sound design that, you know, or things where, you know, some some kind of fast, you know, uh, hand comes out of nowhere or some. It's not that. It's the story. The story just doesn't yeah. end. And by, I had literally had to go get a drink. I had to go get a drink <laughs> after watching it. And, and that's kind of how you feel when you watch A Violent Man. It's, you know, from the beginning of the movie, you have this idea but you still kind of don't know we also i think what we did was we did a good job of creating this unique world where you don't know where we are yeah you, you don't know exactly you don't know if we're in la if we're in middle america if we're in the uk you don't know where we are it's just this unique world and that's kind of like what we wanted to create with this whole noir film concept uh that matt and i worked on you know matt is an incredible writer incredible director the shots his, his ideas for shots are next level um, and we had a small budget. Well, that's the you thing. Know, we had like, a yeah. very small budget. Yeah, and I think people need to take that in mind. You know, when people watch movies and you go, well, you know, and they've just come out of watching, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy two or the latest Avengers movie, and then you know, and then they put on a violent man. You've you've, you've always got to keep in mind, you know, budgetary reasons and so much more that goes on behind the scenes. You can't compare, you know, like to like. Um, but as far, yeah. like I said, as far as you know, a narrative that uh, that hooks you in. A Violent Man has been one of the best ones for a long time that's just kept me locked to the screen. <laughs> well, also, I mean, you have a, if you have a great script and, and you know, we were able to go find, you know, I mean, the script and acting. If you have a great script yeah. and you have great actors, you yeah. have a chance. And yeah. that was one of the things that I wanted to make sure I didn't want to do an on-the-nose story, uh, something where it was, you know, me... Um, uh, I don't know. I don't. I mean, the typical f project for me would have been me fighting someone. Yeah, uh, yeah. I don't know. You know. You, you know how those the usual things, are, isn't it? Yeah. Just, you know, you're the athlete that you know does some sort of uh, you know it's an action film where he's like, I'm a real performer. I'm a real actor. Um, I'm I'm very very dedicated to the craft. 
I'm very dedicated to using the tools that I have and using my life experiences to bring my characters to life and to make everyone that's watching my character understand where he's coming from because hopefully at some point they've all felt the same way that I felt so they can connect with me. Mm. And that's why I'm, I was very, very particular as well as Matt with the actors, with each role. Yeah. And also with the diverse cast because we wanted to really tell an honest, honest story. Uh, and but but we also wanted to give everyone's perspective. There were no bad people. Like when you watch the movie, everyone had legitimate reasons for everything yeah. that they did. Yeah, definitely. So 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 we didn't we didn't cheat and make someone the bad guy. We just we were just honest, and everyone at some point did something that they could have done better that con, con that contributed to everyone else's demise. Yeah. And, and and when you watch it from that perspective, it makes it more human and honest, and you're not judging anyone. We we, we try to do a good job of not making anyone uh, be able to judge any of the characters. Yeah. I think that's why it works so well, is because as you're watching it, you, well, that's messed up, but he <laughs> shouldn't have done that, or that's messed up, but she shouldn't have done that. Yeah. Or, it's like, wow. It's, and that, and, and what the, the cool part about it is at the end of the screenings we've had, literally we've been there for an hour or so, and people just have so many questions and so many hypothetical, you know, uh, thesis about this or that. And then because there's some racial subtext underneath some of the stuff that's not preachy, it's just honest that people are like, wow, is that, wow. I never thought about it like that. I never saw it like that all the way to the very end. So, yeah, man, I'm I'm really glad you enjoyed it. And I hope everyone in the UK as they're watching it, I I hope they really enjoy the film and the performances. And I mean, you know, like I said, we didn't have a big budget, but when you have great acting, you, you do the work in pre-production and you have a great script, you give yourself a chance. And, and that's what we do because a lot of people watch this film and they have no idea the budget because it looks like a studio level film. Mm. So, yeah, that, that is definitely something people have got to keep in mind, you know, and again, it's testament, you know, to the filmmakers and to the actors of, you know, how everybody rose above the budget to make it, more than really what it yeah. should have been you know and it, it is it's really really good i have I yeah well have... you have great actors too we we push each other yeah that's that's another thing you have when you have when you have good actors i mean literally i was on set for every day and i was watching the scenes that i weren't, weren't that i was not in and i watched you know Kalila joy and uh, felicia terrell uh i mean they were badly i mean they were going at it in their scenes i mean it was just hmm. You could and you could just see from one take to the next just the the the, the level of uh, of talent and how they were just both so committed that the scene just kept getting more and more and more intense. Uh, the same thing with uh, um, uh, me and, and Bruce Davison. I mean, this is he's a Golden Globe award winning actor. I mean, he's for the last thirty forty years. I mean, he's been in everything. And, you know, he literally just pushed me to another level. I mean, because if he's, he can't beat me in the scene. He he can't be more believable than me. And I can't be more believable than him. <laughs> and we just find a little crafty ways to try to, you know, work around each other's honesty. Yeah. And then in post-production, we're looking at all the takes and we're like, oh my God, oh my God. And there was one take <laughs> where, um, we had a bunch of reference films that we watched and, and I know I'm kind of getting excited, but I, it's just, I'm just having like a, you know, we kind of reliving the experience where 
there was one scene, um, and I don't know if you've seen the movie History of Violence. Yes, yeah, uh, of course. Yeah. yeah. And there's there's a moment at the end of the movie, or the very end of the movie, where he comes home, and he's kind of looking at each family member for validation, but he mm-hmm. doesn't say anything. Yeah. And it's so powerful because there are no words, just his facial expressions and his energy. And we used one of those takes and took that approach in one of the scenes. Obviously, I'm not going to tell anyone what it is, but it's a scene, uh, one of the big scenes towards the end, which is a very important scene, where it's all in my facial expression. And that whole scene was written with full dialogue. But we did a choice at the last take. Matt was like, remember the scene from History of Violence? And I said, boom, gotcha. Don't say anything else. (laughs) And he goes, action. And and I didn't tell the other actors. I didn't tell I didn't tell Kalila because it was dialogue. So she waited for me to say my <laughs> line, but then she realized what I was doing. Yeah. And and it forced her to have to say her lines without me saying my lines. And so we literally were both living in this experience wow, that's of great. this super powerful. So it was an incredible experience. So I hope everyone that watches it, yeah. I mean, I hope they enjoy it. I hope they uh, they appreciate um, what we, because we really wanted to put on great performances for the for the fans yeah. and, and wanted to create an exciting story. So, you, you know, because a lot of movies, like you said, now are a lot of, they're very surface and cookie cutter, and that's not yeah. our brand. That, you know, yeah. we don't, me and Matt don't make films like that. We want films that you're going to talk about afterwards and say, oh my God, what about that scene, that scene, that scene? That's the joy of doing film for me. It's being able to, have people experience your film and not just watch it. Yeah. So what, what's next for you now then, Thomas? Uh, I'm on a show that comes out next month. Really big show. Um, uh, it's a Marvel show. Ooh, um, okay. Well, let's put two and two together. Um, but it's an incredible, incredible show. I'm very, very excited about it. Uh, it comes out next month. It'll come out actually in June, June 22nd. Um, uh, I have a, a Netflix show. I'll give you I'll give you that information, and then the rest you can figure it out from there. Okay, I'm okay. Not really <laughs> stuff. Uh, but I'm excited about it. I think it will be an incredible, incredible show. Um, I'm working on a project right now, a script that we just finished. Uh, we're trying to shoot that in Atlanta in uh, late July, early August. I just did a really cool guest star role on this uh, show on NBC called Marlon. Marlon Wayans is his uh, TV show on NBC. I did a really cool guest star role. I'm really excited about that. Nice. It's a hilarious show. Yeah. Um, I have a TV sh- show right now that I shot a TV pilot that I'm shopping right now to Netflix, stars, a bunch of other networks they are really, really interested in, so I executive produced that and star in it. Uh, what else am I working on? Uh, a Violent Man will be out over here uh, in September... Mm-hmm. In theaters. Oh, wow. Be Excellent. Really, really good. Yeah, it'll be in theaters. We have a, 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 a Sony Sony picked up the film. So it'll be out here in theaters. And then Matt and I have uh, two other scripts that we've already finished right now. We're just getting some uh, pre-production stuff done. And hopefully we'll be back on set. Oh, that's good. Shooting one of them by the end of the year. So I'm I'm staying busy. I'm working. Good. I'm creating. I'm enjoying the experience. And uh, talking to people like you makes it worthwhile because... It's a lot of work and yeah. people to appreciate it and to actually acknowledge 
what you're doing, it, it just, it's just, it makes us that much more uh, motivated to keep going. So I, I really appreciate you reaching out and doing this interview. No, that's all right. Like I said, you know, I, you know, I'm a fan of what you did in the NFL. Uh, probably even a bigger fan now of what you do in, in the acting world. And you yeah. know, I, I'm just looking at the time we've been recording, and I, I could spend hours more chatting to you, but I'm not going to. <laughs> I, I have, I've got two short questions for you that I've, I've got to okay. ask. And that you is okay. Here you go. And, and it's it's quick questions. Super Bowl or Hall of Fame gold jacket. Oh is it is what it the ring question. or is it the jacket? What a question! What a <laughs> question! Wow, I've never ever thought about that. Wow, oh man, it's a tough one. I've got to admit, I've got my thoughts on it, but I'm not going to say anything until you've answered. Wow, oh, I would have to say Super Bowl. Okay, the reason why is because. Okay. The Hall of Fame is an individual award. Yeah. And it's a huge honor because yeah. you're, you're, you're going down history, one of the best to ever do it. Yeah. But a Super Bowl is an event. Yeah. It's, it's an yeah. event. It's, it's And the experience with all your teammates is something that, that, you know, that you, I mean, every year, Super Bowl comes around you and your teammates if you've ever won Super Bowl you can have a Super Bowl party and all you guys can have your Super Bowl rings on and you can yeah. all reminisce and have a couple <laughs> drinks and talk about remember and and I think that's way more special than looking in your trophy case and there's a yellow jacket there I think yeah. I think it's incredible but I think just that experience of winning a Super Bowl and those guys being you're etched in stone forever as yeah. a team and these are your brothers and your family because you become very very close to your teammates very close because we we have a unique reality as NFL players. A lot of people uh, they really don't understand what we go through, and I think that's the problem with a lot of guys when they retire. When you don't have your teammates around or you're not in that environment, it's kind of like PTSD. You know, it's kind of like you come back from the military and you're like, yeah. okay, uh, my environment is so extreme that no one really understands, it and I just don't fit in. So um, I would say a Super Bowl ring would be wow. One, I would say one A and one B, Super Bowl <laughs> ring, and then so don't get me wrong, Hall of Fame jacket is oh, not yeah. far behind. Yeah. I'm I'm sure you'll get one of those. So like I said at the beginning of the show, I'm sure you're going to get one of those anyway. <laughs> you should do anyway. Uh, but yeah, oh, no, that, 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 that's really good way of thinking because I would, you know, the way I would think of it is, you know, okay, the, you know, the gold jacket. It's you know, it's because of what I've done. You know, I, American football. It's such a team sport. You know, that you know, you've got to be surrounded by those guys. But the way that you, you know, the way that you said about that, yeah, it it, it does make sense. So my second my second question then, and the way that you answered the first question may well influence your answer to this or maybe not so Super Bowl ring or best actor Oscar man you, you, you're not playing fair today man. <laughs> Super Bowl ring or Oscar there you go it's a mm. tough one again I guess in Oscar the reason why I would probably think an Oscar is because, I mean, that means that your performance, well, I mean, you know what, man? Like, I, I, I would I would probably have to go with Super Bowl ring again. 
Yeah. Because and the thing about the thing about an Oscar, and like I said, the thing about football is very uh, black and white. You know, there's there's politics in the whole thing, and politics of all this. There's politics in a lot of different things. But yeah. if you if if you're performing on the field, you're performing. Mm-hmm. You, you can't deny that. If you win the Super Bowl, you beat the team. You beat them. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you won. Statistically, you won. So it's it's you know accolades are basically uh, given off of statistics. And as to get an Oscar, there's a lot of other things that go into that. Uh, there's been some incredible performances that haven't even been acknowledged for for Oscar nomination because of politics. I mean, Will Smith's performance in The Pursuit of Happiness mm. was one of the best performances I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. Uh, definitely, I think, should have won an Oscar. I thought Johnny Depp in Black Mass was incredible. Um Whitey Bow when he played Whitey Bulger uh, didn't get an Oscar. Uh, I, I think winning an Oscar is definitely hard, if not harder, than winning a Super Bowl. Yeah. But I think there have been a lot of people that have won Oscars that might not have had the best performance. Yeah, definitely. You know, and so I think because you, when you win a Super Bowl, you earn it. Yeah. Hands yeah. down. So I'd have to go to the Super Bowl. But you, but you, these questions, these questions are pretty brutal questions, man. You're making me question myself. <laughs> making me question myself here, man. I'm thinking well, I'm, I would have never expected you to ask those questions. That's, that's pretty cool, though. Well, unfortunately, you know, you didn't get the Super Bowl ring. But I, like I said before, I you're. I, I honestly think you're a shoe in for the gold jacket, and I really do hope you know one day I'm sat here in Wales and I, you know I can watch the Oscars and there you go you're lifting up the best ass or you know best actor Oscar you know so two two, be, out, two out of three great. Thomas that's pretty good two out of three ain't bad that'll be great <laughs> so what's the best way that listeners can find and follow everything that you're doing online. Uh, they can follow me on social media on Instagram, Thomas Jones RB. Mm-hmm. Uh, the same handle on Twitter, Thomas Jones RB, and on Facebook, official Thomas Jones. Okay. And yeah, those are my social media handles. Uh, Snapchat, Thomas Jones RB as well. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I, I've been to London twice. I loved it. Uh, I stayed at the W and I stayed at the Mayfair, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mayfair. Uh, I loved it. Uh, I have a couple of friends over there. I loved London. It was great. I mean, um, and I have a, a lot of friends over here that are from the UK. I actually did a film with uh, an actress named Melanie Liebert, who's from the UK. And I think she's on, uh, I did a really cool film with her a couple of years ago. And, and I think she's on the show. Uh, she was on Game of Thrones. And now she's on the show, This Is Us. Yeah. It's uh, on NBC over here. Um, and it's funny because, you know, we both kind of started in the same place when we were, when we worked together in 2015 and, uh, and then just to really, and we worked at the same actor studio, which was pretty, uh, uh, pretty cool coincidence as well. And now both of us are, uh, working in, in major shows and, and network gigs and Netflix gigs. So it's just cool to see the progression. And, yeah. and, and, and it was, we had a lot of really interesting conversations with her. We shot a film for three weeks in, uh, Fairhope, Alabama. And so I got a chance to know her really well in those three weeks. And we had a lot of really interesting conversations about <laughs> uh, just being her coming from the UK and, and then being in the States and visiting the UK and being from the States. So, um, 
you know, uh, I have some fans that follow me on social media from the UK, from Dean Mary Jane, some other shows that I've been on. I appreciate the love and support from them as well. And uh, I hope that um, hope they really enjoy the film. Go out and purchase the film, A Violent Man, on DVD. I think I think it'll be worth your, worth your while for sure. Definitely. Definitely is. Well, the next time you're over here in the UK, you know, please come up here to North Wales. I'll happily show you, you know, around all the castles and everything that we've got here in Wales, too. I'm looking forward to it. I will definitely reach out to you and uh, feel free to reach out to me for anything. If you want to talk football, I'm here. I don't play anymore, but uh, obviously I'm I'm always I'm, I'm etched in stone in the NFL. So I have uh, I have. If you need some predictions, I can probably help you with that. Uh, and uh, so you know, uh, we'll definitely help each other out. I have a couple projects coming up, so I'll definitely nice. love to stay in contact. Oh, I look forward to it. Well, for, for the sake of the edit, I will say goodbye to you. And once again, you know the way I started the show. Thank you so much for giving me your time. Uh, I've, I've loved every minute, and like I said it before, I could spend another ninety minutes chatting to you, Thomas. So thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me, and uh, thank you to all the fans in the UK that buy the film. I really appreciate the love and support. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks, Thomas. Bye-bye. You got it. Okay, bye. And the alarm bell, as always, brings to an end another show. So for all of our listeners in the UK, please go and buy A Violent Man on DVD. Uh, The review of it is on our website. There is a link where you can buy it on our website as well. So buying it through there not only helps sales of the film, of course, uh, but it gives us a little kickback and we always use these uh, to fund the competitions that we run on our Twitter account. For everybody that's listening in America, like Thomas said, you've got it uh, released in cinemas, theatres over there in September. So please go and watch it. It is a great, great film. And again, Go to the website and read the review and, you know, read what I thought of it. I loved it. As you, as you found out and as you heard me talking to Thomas about it, it is a really good movie. And, you know, like I said, it surprised me. I was expecting something. Oh, I got something much more than I was expecting. So our website is, of course, 60minuteswith.co.uk. There's a contact us form on there, should you wish to send us an email. Or you can email us direct, which is contact at 60minuteswith.co.uk. We're on Twitter and Instagram. Both of those are at 60 Minutes With, and both of those, of course, are with a numerical 60, not the alphabetical one. And that's it, the end of another show. Once again, I'd like to thank Thomas for spending all that time chatting with me. Like I said, you could probably pick up on my excitement. I could have just talked for hours. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, hopefully you enjoyed listening to it as much as I did. Some great stories there, whether you love NFL, whether you love acting, or whether you just love to hear great stories in general. So thank you for listening, and we'll be back again very soon.